Hey there, it's Brandon. So I wanted to do a follow-up on last week's episode about how music is weaponized. It reminded me of this piece I did for Who, What, Why, which was taking kind of another angle on the whole music thing and looked more at the corporate side. In that last episode, we talked about things like binaural beats, and I mentioned Hans Zimmer and meditation apps and things like that. So this story digs a little deeper into that idea of how corporations are developing music that's very smart and that's very attuned to our own personal rhythms and vibrations, all kind of in an attempt to occupy more of the space of our mind, because that's kind of where the next market is. And oh, by the way, James Taylor is all over this one, too. All right. For the past several weeks, months, years, I don't know, I've had the very beginning of James Taylor's You've Got a Friend in my head. Just to start. And so it is. When you're, down, when you're down when I'm cooking. When you're down when I'm getting dressed. When you're down when I'm staring blankly at my dog. When you're down when I'm staring at any dog. Occasionally I'll add, and troubled. But that seems superfluous. When you're down is not playing, as far as I can tell, because I am down. Or troubled. Or need a helping hand. Or at least no more than usual. When you're down seems to be looping up there only to satisfy whatever demands of mental noise my brain requires. And not because of any fondness for James Taylor. Because, let me be clear, I don't like James Taylor's music. My favorite thing James Taylor ever did was co-starring in Tulane Blacktop, an excellent nihilistic film that not only didn't ask him to sing, but barely required him to speak. He was great in that. He drove fast. So, why is When You're Down in my head? Is it necessary? Is it doing something important? Does it mean that James Taylor is somehow, God forbid, a part of me? Maybe Apple sensed my disquiet. Because the company recommended a free trial of an app called Indel. Indel is based in Berlin and claims that, quote, we are not evolving fast enough, and, quote, our bodies and minds are not fit for the new world we live in. Traffic, social media, true crime podcasts. So, quote, we need new technology to help our bodies and brains adapt to the new world, end quote. The sluggishness of our evolution has, per Indel, resulted in anxiety, depression, and lack of sleep. So to that end, Indel proposes to create personalized soundscapes that adjust to things like heart rate, activity level, and even weather for all possible genres of human experience, from study, to recovery, to sleep, to grimes, as in Grimes, a musician who's with Elon Musk. She's connected to Indel, too. Anyway, I spent my free trial listening to a deeper focus soundscape. I didn't hook myself up to a wearable device to share heart rate and all that. But when I worked, I did seem to be more deeply focused than otherwise. Time went away in the manner of reported flow states. It was both kind of interesting and sort of neat. But I'm suspicious of any new technology that wants to, quote, help our bodies and brains adapt to the new world, end quote. It's not just Indel, which has raised more than $120 million in investments. Other apps like Vibe and WavePaths are vying to become the household names of biometric, AI-generated wellness music. Meanwhile, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple want to connect music, AI, and wearable tech all to create full-time listeners who exchange focus or recovery for the biometric data you generate when you're focusing or recovering. So after Indel's free trial ended and I could ruminate once again without the curse of deeper focus, I wondered what might be lost when technology offers to become the new soundtrack of our minds changing with moods and weather, optimized by science and pop stars, and always monitoring. What becomes of poor, fragmentary James Taylor? When I fret about matters of a cognitive nature, I often pester the nearest cognitive neuroscientist I know, which, unfortunately for Jonas Kaplan, is Jonas Kaplan. 
Kaplan's an associate professor at the University of Southern California's Brain and Creativity Institute and co-director of the school's Dornsive Cognitive Neuroimaging Center. Why, I ask him, do I have James Taylor in my head when I'm trying to do non-James Taylor-related activities, which is most activities? He chalks it up to mind-wandering. You know all that stuff that's going on in our brains in between all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing? That's mind-wandering, which is just another way of saying daydreaming plus PhDs. It's a concept so shifty that even neuroscientists discovered it kind of accidentally. They noticed that the brains of people in scanners were strangely active in the downtime between tasks, when the participants weren't focusing on anything in particular. And there's just so many interesting things happening in the brain. You know, there are these special systems that um, come online when people are, are mind-wandering. And what you're doing when, when you're in those states, uh, in addition to the kind of just like mental play that you're talking about, which often can have melodic elements, um, it's just like thinking about other times and places, and it's meaning-making, really. Um, it, it really is um, about trying to interpret what's happening in your past and future. He says scientists see the same systems light up when people read good stories. In those intervals between all the things we're supposed to be doing, we're sort of shuttling around in time, weaving our own story. Maybe a snippet of James Taylor, for me, is a kind of motif in my narrative. Like, you sing that song once, and then it comes to you the next time you're in that situation, like, happens again. Indeed. That song, and other songs, and commercial jingles, and funny lines from Office Space, and things you should have said that one time but didn't. And they become almost like these ritual-type things. When we're not doing something important, these memes become the selections in a psychic jukebox of garbage that plays in the dive bar of our minds. There we sit, drink in hand, wondering how we got here, telling the story of how we got here. And like any dive bar, the experience of mind-wandering can be good or bad. Research suggests that mind-wandering comes in a few flavors. One is negative, quote, related to tortured self-examination or anxious self-doubting, end quote. This comes from a study. The other is positive, quote, reflecting an acceptance of inner experience and elaborated imagery and fantasy, end quote. In other words, creativity. We'll get into creativity later, but as for the negative, not only can it lead to self-doubt, it can also keep us from doing that important stuff. In the case of James Taylor, I have to admit, it starts to feel a little bit like a tick. It's silly and not unpleasant, but it may also be an obsessive mental move, like a dog chewing a bald patch into its leg. Hell, maybe I'd be finishing a neuroscience PhD if not for James Taylor. Here's Jonas Kaplan again. I like to think of... Um, these different dials we have in the brain that you can sort of turn up or down and, and come on stronger or weaker in different people. And I, I think the one of the um, extremes of this is the kind of obsessive thinking you have in like OCD. You know, you have the same thought over and over again and you can't stop having it. Um, or, or you do the same sort of behavior in a compulsive kind of way. And there's like a little bit of that in, the, in these songs that become repetitive for us. That they become these sort of like habits of thought. But so now, here come these companies like Indel with new technologies that want to optimize your thoughts to replace those eclectic selections in your jukebox with generative soundscapes modulated by artificial intelligence, informed by our biology and environment that will maximize focus and keep us from wandering off. The implication underlying Indel and its kin being that wandering is bad and focus, clean, earnest, work-centered focus, is good. Using music as a tool to narcotize people against the traumas of modern life isn't new. 
Composer Brian Eno's observations of anxiety at airport terminals inspired him to create 1978's Ambient One, Music for Airports. It's more an art installation than an album, and designed to be, in Eno's words, quote, as ignorable as it is interesting. Eno ran musical elements, piano and choir, on these looped tapes of differing lengths, so that the resulting music was partially randomly generated. Music for airports is not intended to provoke an emotional or an intellectual response, but more to act like a cognitive janitor, sweeping the noise aside to allow the listener to feel or think whatever they want. And thus, the birth of ambient music. It is relaxing and kind of boring and kind of interesting and sort of makes you relax, right? Anyway, the spiritual spawn of music for airports is everywhere. Spotify has about a million focus-themed playlists, as does YouTube, some of which are these epic eight-hour murmurings that you listen to while getting a mud mask. And music is indeed becoming an official wellness tool, per a global wellness report. A study by Samsung UK found that roughly a quarter of millennials are listening to over five hours of music a day, and over half rate music their number one feel-good source. This is in 2020. Another study found that music was the main way people were tackling anxiety during the pandemic. More than sex, more than alcohol, more than working out, all that. And music was the only solution that actually lowered depression. And Spotify reported that listening time for mental health playlists doubled in 2020. To understand the rise of music as medicine, it's important to understand how it coincides with another industry, an industry worth $2 billion, meditation, and particularly the corporatized work-focused brand called Mindfulness. There are two apps that dominate the meditation space. One's called Headspace, and the other one's called Calm. Headspace is looking at more than $100 million in annual revenue. It offers meditations, yoga, workouts, and, of course, music. Under the app's Focus tab, there's music from Erica Badu, St. Vincent, Arcade Fire, and an 84-minute piece from film score composer Hans Zimmer, which I mentioned in the last episode, quote, to give your focus an epic soundtrack. It's very stirring. Bringing in celebrity talent is a not-surprising way to grab more of your mind space. The company Calm, with $150 million in annual revenue, has life lessons from LeBron James, music from Ariana Grande and Post Malone, and bedtime stories from Matthew McConaughey, Laura Dern, and Harry Styles. Hello. I'm Harry Styles. I mean, cuddle up, right? And tonight, I'm going to help you drift off to sleep. All of this obviously because their voices in your head are presumably preferable to your own. The physiological and mental benefits of meditation and mindfulness have by now been well established. And while I get the appeal of these offerings right in my pocket, I also find it interesting that these apps are designed, as Indel says, quote, to help our bodies and brains adapt to the new world, end quote, which seems to mean largely getting through the workday. A Business Insider review of Headspace and Calm paid special attention to how these apps purport to improve productivity. Quote, but in the few minutes that the instructor talked about productivity at work, I think Calm won out. Calm's insights seem to be more specific and more relatable, sending you away with more practicable takeaways for your workday, end quote. And this whole work focus evokes this critique of the industry called mindfulness, which is desiring the physical, mental, and professional benefits of meditation without the philosophical emphasis on things like suffering. In other words, enlightenment that won't rob you of happy hour. Now, wellness is itself a tricky term. It doesn't exactly mean health, which is personal, but something kind of more aspirational, more presentational. It's somehow embarrassing to be merely healthy on Instagram. 
It's better to extol how you exemplify wellness. It's outward-facing. It's performative. The fallacy of these resolutely non-political apps is that they assume this new world and its stresses are inevitable, that the best we can do is to accept the tools they offer to cope. But another way to look at it is to say that maybe the new world is itself the problem that must be changed. We're anxious and sleepless and depressed, in large part because of technology that willfully harms teenagers' mental health, that manipulates civic conversation, that watches us all the time, and that tries to influence our behavior. Yeah, no, we're not sleeping great. And the same industry that innovated many of these modern stressors is now offering ways to deal with those stressors. Indel diagnoses our problem thusly. Quote, information overload is destroying our psyche, end quote. So is the solution to address suffering, to revise our current new world, or to put on headphones and submerge ourselves in deeper focus? Or is it both? And Indel wants to remove even the pressure of working for wellness by, quote, helping us be more present and involved without even having to meditate, end quote. So it's easy. Just give them access to your biometric data and voila, quote, none of the essential bodily functions require manual activation. Your breathing, heart rate, sleep, and multiple nervous systems responses happen and adjust to the situation without any conscious effort, end quote. Indel calls itself, without irony, quote, a tech-aided bodily function, end quote. It's an enema for the mind. Back to James Taylor. His song starts, when you're down and troubled. And I'm told there's more to it, but who knows. Perhaps when you're down is just the smoke signal for a deeper mental process that's otherwise invisible to me. All I can confidently say about when you're down is this. It gets me to the next moment. Jonas Kaplan says that when we sing songs to ourselves or repeat dumb phrases or whatever else we do, it's a kind of meditation, a mantra. And I think why that works is because you're kind of occupying the the chatterbox in, in your brain, you know, giving it something to, to chew on um, that's meaningless um, so that you can kind of free, free your mind from it in some way because you don't, you're not actually thinking anything meaningful anymore. You're just saying the same phrase over and over again. It's kind of like, you know, give, giving it something to do to get it out of the way. Research into mind-wandering suggests that it can be negative, but it can also be a fount of creativity. One study suggests that for children, mind-wandering helps them, quote, become creative in daily life and sets the stage for adult creativity, end quote. And Keith Sawyer, who's an expert on creativity, thinks we spend a whole lot more time with our personal James Taylors than we might realize. He says we're only aware of like one half of our mind-wandering episodes, and so we should look at these moments as kind of mini-incubation that contribute to creative thought, quote, by temporarily taking conscious attention away from the problem at hand and providing a brief opportunity for insight to occur, end quote. So it's an escape from the world, from the stresses. Maybe the dumb stuff has to be dumb and seemingly pointless, just so we can get a glimpse of how it's all an illusion. The mind, celebrity, the new world. Maybe... And I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe we shouldn't be so willing to swap out our James Taylors for full-time, wall-to-wall soundscapes. So, when you're down, maybe random garbage, and you may have some version of that in your own head, and God bless you if you do. But the whole point of it, maybe, is to be random garbage just so our minds can be distracted enough, can be freed enough, to do the real work of creation. And that's something to meditate on. All right, that originally ran at Who, What, Why. You can check it out there at whowhatwhy.org. The music that's not James Taylor is by Nathan Reedy. And Journos is produced, as always, by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. All right, we'll see you next time.